for a really long time, but he really became famous uh, when he joined the likes of Jeff Foxworthy, uh, Ron White, and Larry the Cable Guy. You guys remember this? It was the uh, blue-collar comedy special. And what made him really unique, what made him really stick out was his one line. Go ahead and yell out his one line if you know it. Here's your sign. And so it would be stories like this. There was one day he locked his keys in his car. And so he went into Walmart. He bought a wire hanger. He came out. He put it inside his window to try to pick the lock. And someone came up to him and said, do you lock your keys in your car? He said, nope, just a little damp. Think I'm going to hang it out to dry. And then he would say, here's your sign. He said, my buddy, his wife turned 38 this week, and she wasn't really happy about it, so his buddy decided to buy her two uh, birthday cakes, one that said happy with the number three on it, one that said birthday had the number eight on it, and he went up to the register to pay for the cakes, and the, the cashier leaned over and said, oh, that is so cute, you have twins. He said, yep, my wife was in labor for five whole years. Here's your sign. Yeah, man, those were so funny. Go back and Google it, but some of it's dirty. But Google it and, and put your earmuffs on when you need to. Maybe you could relate a little bit more to these signs. You see these on Facebook all the time, or maybe you see them in real life. This one says, swimming notice. Minnesota state law strictly prohibits underwater smoking. The thing that's funny about these signs is they have to post them because someone did them. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't post a sign because it's not, uh, it's, it's definitely available. Someone's done this. How about this next one? Uh, garbage only, no trash. All right, next one. <laughs> this year, thousands of men will die from stubbornness, and someone went with spray paint and wrote, no, we won't. That was me. I actually did that. I did that myself. No, I'm kidding. But, all right, so there are funny signs. You could Google funny signs, and actually that's what I did. You could Google funny signs and find them all over the place. Every now and then on Facebook you'll see, you know, the 10 stupidest, funniest signs you've, you've ever seen or whatever. Um, here's what I've noticed about um, just about our culture and our world. There's like an always growing, increasingly large amount of signs all around us. And they prohibit things like smoking underwater, right? That's, that's like absurd. And here's what's really happened, is they've put so much signs around now, we kind of stopped reading them, right? They all just kind of blend it in together. And we start to ignore, ignore the signs. Um... The nation of Israel, man, God has warned them over and over and over. Remember, they cried out for a king. They wanted a king so bad, and God said, no, let me be your king. You don't need a king. They're like, yeah, but we, we do. We hear what you're saying, God, and yeah, you know what's best for us because you love us, but we really don't want that. We want a king, and so they get King Saul, and there was your, it's almost like God's like, here's your sign, I think God sounds like that. Anyway, here's your sign. And they still didn't want it. They still didn't listen, right? They, they, they wanted to pursue their own way. And so God sends a group of people throughout the story or throughout Scripture called prophets. 
And today we're going to meet a prophet by the name of Elijah. Remember where we are in the story. The nation of Israel, their last good king at this point in our story was King Solomon. He raised them to prosperity. He built a temple. He protected, uh, he, he led them to prosperity after David protected the, the boundaries of the nation. But then when he died, there, his, uh, his son Rehoboam took charge, but there were some people who didn't like it, so they created this like rift in the nation of Israel. And so it became two nations. The northern nation is Israel. What's the southern nation? Judah. I'm so glad you guys are following along. And so Judah, here's the issue with where Judah is. That's where Jerusalem is. That's where the temple is. And so if you're going to worship God according to his decrees and his laws and his parameters, you got to do it at the temple. Well, that doesn't sit well with Jeroboam, the king of, of, uh, of Israel. And so he starts to set up like these drive-through worship centers. So he's like, you know, I'm going to make it convenient for you people, my people. I'm trying to protect you. I'm going to set up these worship spaces with calves in them, with golden calves. Like, come on, man, you have you've got had to learn something from Aaron, right? From Moses's. Okay, you had to learn something. You can't just worship golden calves, man. And so he sets them up uh, in different places for them to to worship, and they buy in. He's like, you don't need to go to Jerusalem because he's afraid of losing his people. And so God starts to send prophets into the mix. And a prophet's job was to speak on behalf of God to the people and speak to God on behalf of the people. He was like this intermediary between the two. So God starts to send these prophets to, to talk to them. And we're going to meet Elijah. Go ahead and in, in your Bible find uh, 1 Kings chapter 16. And I'll do the same thing. Go ahead and find 1 Kings chapter 16. Uh, you can download the Restore Church app and follow along with us there. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, um, you can follow along under the live event section. If you need a Bible, Gina's got one. She'll bring it to you. Um, and then we'll also have it on the screens, but there's really not, uh, not really an excuse to not be following along. We've made it pretty easy. 1 Kings chapter 16. But before we get into it, I just want to... Uh, do a small portion of teaching on prophets. It's really important, this, this story, the, the tool that we're using to get through the Bible. This is why it's essential. This is why it's really important. Because if you were just to read through your Bible, left to right, it's going to start to get confusing when you get to names of books like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Because it doesn't make sense chronologically. So what, what the story has done for us is taken those prophets and placed them into the story where they belong. And so now it makes sense where we'll see in coming weeks, uh, Daniel, where we'll see Jeremiah put in the story. And this week where, we'll, where we will see Elijah. In, in your Bible, you'll have a total of 17 prophets. Five are called major prophets. And then there are 12 minor prophets. The, the five major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Okay, they're called major prophets not because they're cooler, okay? Not because they, they did better things. It's just because the books are longer, right? 
And then the next 12 are called minor prophets, and they're shorter. Those are the ones I read, you know, the minor ones. I'm not into the big, long stories. I'll just wait for the movie to come out. Um, so there isn't, like, anything major or minor about them. It's just where they uh, It's just the length of, of the story. Okay. First Kings chapter 16, Jeroboam has led the nation of Israel. He has laid the foundation to idolatry. Well, he dies, and then the next few kings just build upon his foundation. They just lead the nation. God's people, they keep leading them astray toward things that don't matter, toward these other idols. You could almost look at the whole Old Testament. You could probably do it through the whole Bible, but you could look at the whole Old Testament and say that the theme of the Old Testament, definitely the prophets, but the theme of the whole Old Testament is idolatry. It's trying to share the seat of glory in your life with something else and God. And so uh, that's where we find ourselves. Uh, so 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 29 and 30. In the, 30. in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, the son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Can't really blame him. He's just building upon the foundation that's laid for him. But you also come to meet his wife, Jezebel. Not a Jezebel, but the Jezebel. This is the original Jezebel. And here's what, here's what Jezebel has done. She sets up, she's like, all right, this other God is all right, but here's the God we really need to worship, Baal. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to set up a temple similar to the one in Jerusalem, but I'd like to create a temple for, for my God. And, um, and not only that, I'd like to set up the sacrifice system so we can sacrifice to the God of, of weather. Baal is the God of weather and the God of rain. Now, if you know anything about, first, uh, about this type of world, everything rose and fell with the weather. I mean, they have to raise crops. They have to sell crops, right? You, you need water to live. And so why not have a God that makes those things happen? His name is Baal. Well, Jezebel takes it a step further. She's going to be like this apologist for her God, Baal. She's like, we don't need any prophets of any other God around. And so it's her pursuit to start to kill all of God's people but especially those who are, who are preaching for him or talking on his behalf. So Jezebel wants to kill all of God's prophets. And so God sends a prophet. God sends Elijah. I don't know how that conversation went. God's like, hey, Elijah. God's like, I got you, dog. What you need? I'm your man. He's like, I want you to go talk to King Ahab. All right, no problem. And his wife Jezebel, no, I'm good. I'm good. You can find you can find somebody else. That's it's not cool. But Elijah must be better than me because he did it. All right. Okay. So it's it's his job to come to Ahab and deliver this message. Look at First uh, Kings chapter seventeen, verse one. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. There's not going to be 
any rain from the sky. There won't be any dew. There will be no moisture in the air. There's going to be a drought. And that's the message that Elijah gives to King Ahab. You see, what, what happens is when we set up this idea of a dollar, or when we set up idols in our life, what we're doing is we're trying to share the spotlight of the story with something else in our life. And if we've learned nothing else from the story, we've learned that the story is about God's glory. Like, God is the main character of the story, not us. Or, or really, anything else. And God takes idolatry very seriously. I mean, the first two commandments are about idolatry. It, it's this recurring theme that comes up in the story. And, you know, you might be sitting there thinking, like, all right, I, I don't have, like, I don't have any idols. I, I'm, I don't have idols. I don't worship any idols. I don't go out of my way for strange things. I don't wear crazy clothes like they did when they worshipped idols in the Bible. I don't create my schedule around certain times to worship. Or I don't have statues set up in my house that, that I worship. You know, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, I don't really have any idols in my life. And then I thought about just this past week, just these past seven days. And uh, one day this week... My wife and I went through my clothes, and what I mean by that is my wife went through my clothes, and she held them up, and she's like, you want to keep this or not? <laughs> so she did all the work. I just sat there and said yes or no. Anyway, uh, come to the end of, of it, and, and I think, like, there has to be 77 and a half Clemson t-shirts in my closet, but I don't, I don't worship any other gods. I don't wear silly clothes for them. And then this week... Well, last week it really started. I began a countdown, and I can tell you that 69 days from today, Clemson kicks off against Furman at 12 p.m., and it's going to be on the ACC network when it should be on ESPN, but who am I? But I don't, I don't have, like, a set schedule set around idols. I don't have any rituals with my idols except for this worn-out spot in our living room carpet that's not three feet away from the television where I walk probably six miles every time Clemson plays a game. But we don't have any idols in our lives, do we? We don't have anything that we worship besides God. Look, we've got gods. We've got idols. I think if we, though, are going to pursue who God is, we've got to figure out who they are and dethrone them. All right? Don't answer that. Let's just assume that I'm right. The question is, besides God, what's competing for the seat of glory in your life? Like, what's competing for that spot? When you get home at the end of the day, who do you turn to? Or what do you turn on? You're just like, man, I just need some time to veg out. And so you spend some time putting your hope in a television series or or a Facebook thread. Or maybe, maybe it's your spouse that holds that spot. Maybe it's your family that holds this spot. Maybe it's the pursuit of money 
that holds that spot. Or maybe it's that trying to do everything in your life to line up for that next career move. Maybe that's the next, maybe that's what's competing. Here's what I want to do. I'd like for us to be able to identify some more, identify the idols in our life. Because I guarantee you, because you're like me, um, that as soon as you identify an idol and you're like, all right, no more. I'm done with that. I'm putting God first. There's going to be another one competing. All right, so um, a friend of, or, well, not a friend of mine, a, a preacher I listen to, he, he actually has seven questions to help you identify um, who your idols are. And so if, if you're a note taker, uh, if you're following along on the Restore app or if you're following along on the YouVersion Bible app, these are there for you. But if you're following along on the screen and you want to write this down, this would be good, a good assessment tool for you. Here's the first thing. What are you most disappointed with in your life right now? Because here's the thing. If we can pinpoint what's disappointed, what has dis, what dis, <laughs> oh, that was fun. All right, Mike Tyson, stop preaching. Here we go. All right, Ross. Um, what, if we can identify what disappoints us the most in our life, that gives us a glimpse of where our hope is. Are you disappointed in your spiritual life? Maybe. Are you most disappointed in your spiritual life? Maybe you're disappointed in your relationship. Maybe what most disappoints you right now is your career or your sex life, or your lack of security. I mean, if you're looking at those things, and those things are the constant disappointment in your life, that's a good indication that there might be some extra gods they're competing for first place. Number two, where do you sacrifice your time and money? You know, I do believe that food is a god in our world and in our culture, and I worship it a lot. Look at your bank account. If your bank account were to, if you were to ask your bank account, who do I worship, what, what would it say? Um, what, what are the things in your life that you're sacrificing for? Are you sacrificing for God's kingdom? Are you sacrificing time? Are you sacrificing money for God's kingdom? Number three, what do you worry about? What keeps you up at night? This is the third question. Um, if you're following along with me, what, what keeps you up at night? What do you worry about? Um, for me, honestly, it's church. And God has been working on me. I, man, I, I'll, I'll really uh, lay into myself here in a few minutes. Uh, but God's really laid into me lately. It's like, dude, church is not going to save you. Right? How well church is running is not, does not like make your relationship with me better. So put me first. What do you worry about? Um, number four, where do you go when you get hurt? Not physically, you should go to the doctor. But some of y'all are hard headed, I know you. But where do you go when you're when you're hurt, when you're emotionally hurt? Some of us we go to the refrigerator, we open it up, we actually call them comfort foods. Or we go a little bit lower in the refrigerator and we find our comfort in, in the bottle, right, in alcohol, and that's where we go when we're hurt. Or maybe you're dependent on other people, your relationships. Or maybe you find a quiet room and you 
you open up your computer and you get lost in pornography. Or, or maybe when you're hurt, you just go turn on the television and stop thinking about the world because if you could just disappear for a few moments in this screen, you're good. So where do you go when you get hurt? All right, we got to do these um, a little bit faster. There's a story, though, that gets told about a, a child. He starts kindergarten um, and every day comes home and tells his mom about how awesome the kindergarten teacher is. And his mom's like, all right, this, is, this was great at first, but she's spending more time with you than, than I get to because of the way the school system is. And so um, she starts to grow a little bit jealous. Well, one day the mom and the teacher are there and, and they're talking on the playground and, and the kid gets hurt, falls down. And he starts in a dead sprint toward the mom and the teacher. Who's the kid going to run to? Mom. And what it does is it creates this, this beautiful image that we find our comfort, or, or we seek out our comfort most when we're hurt. So where are you finding your comfort? Number five, what makes you angry? Uh... Look, when your team loses, does it mess up the whole rest of the day? Are you one of those people that if your team loses, don't talk to me the rest of the day? I'm not answering that. That's, that's up for you. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but that might give you some indication of who a God might be. Are there, are, are there people that make you angry? Like, where, where's your God rest? Um, number six, what brings you the most joy? And that might seem silly to be... Uh, to talk about as a God, but you know what? If That's God's competition, the thing that brings us the most joy. And sometimes instead of worshiping the giver, we worship the gift. Number seven, this is the last question. Who's, whose applause are you living for? Is it people? Is it your boss? Is it your spouse? Is it your kids? Is it your parents? Um, because Honestly, if you answer that question to anybody else but God and you call yourself a Christian or a Christ follower, that is an indication of a God. Ultimately, an idol is anything that's stealing glory from God in your life. It's a cheap replacement of what God wants to do in our lives. Like God wants to do some of these things. He wants to fill the void of those questions in our life, but we are running to something else. The other night we were sitting in the house and it was late at night and we were watching The Office like most Christians do. And we were, um, and I just got back, I was sitting in bed and my stomach was just growling. And so I needed a really healthy snack. And who doesn't want milk and Oreos? when you have a healthy snack, right? And so I'm like amped up on some just like soaked up Oreos. And at the end of the story, what you'll find out is we eat the Oreos for the cookies, not the cream. So all you double stuffed people, get out of here with that. It's about the thin life, the thin Oreos. And um, so we're sitting there and I'm like, all right, I'm going to go in and I'm going to get some Oreos and I'm going to get some milk. And I'm like stoked. And I don't th I don't know what I was thinking because I live in my house. I don't live in anybody else's house and I know what's in my kitchen. But anyway, from the walk from my bedroom to the kitchen, I'm stoked up on some like whole milk, you know, like that thick like milk cream and these like just awesome Oreos. OK, so I get I get there, I open up the fridge and we have almond milk which is good and it's healthy, but it's not. Oh, 
We also had coconut milk. Oh, they're good. But not when you want Oreos and milk, all right? So then I go under the pantry, and I'm like, oh, yeah, there's the Oreos. Got them. So I pull them out, and we take them out of the package, and we lock them in, like, these, these tight containers to keep them fresh. Or maybe it's just to trick our minds, whatever. But I pull it out, and I open it up, and I get I got four. I put them in a bowl, but I also ate two because you got to do something else while you're putting it back, you know. So I eat those, and then I'm, I'm taking it back, and... I come back, and I'm like, look, I only got four. And then I sit down, and I, I, I dip it into my almond milk. And then I take a bite, only to remember these are not Oreos. They're twisting shouts. <laughs> oh, buddy, I did want to shout. <laughs> twisting shouts. And what I'm telling y'all is the cream is the same. It's the cookie that's different. Y'all don't believe me. Go get the thin ones. Your life will change anyway. Here's what will happen. We'll keep replacing the real thing with this cheap substitute long enough to make ourselves believe that it's good. And I think what's so important for us to identify these idols in our life is because we're eating twists and shouts thinking they're Oreos, and that is sinful. We're putting these other gods in our lives and we're trying to get them to fill the void that only God can. And temporarily they might, but they're going to leave us flat on our face asking God, why? Like, why haven't you been blessing me? God, why do I feel this way? God, why is my life falling apart? God, where are you in the midst of all of this? And he's like, you're the dummy who's buying Aldi brand Oreos. Or stop trying to replace me with your sports team or with your spouse or with your kids or with your job or with alcohol or with food or with your career. Take me, the whole me, all of me. As a deer pants for water, so God, my soul, it, it thirsts, it longs for you. And so um, God sends Elijah to tell Ahab there's going to be no rain. There's going to be no dew. There's going to be no moisture. And here's, I think I've already said this, but here's what you need to know about the God Baal, the one they're worshiping. He's the God of rain. He's the God of, of water. He's the God of the weather. Do you see what God's doing? God's withholding his blessing in the area of their lives that has it elevated to God-like status. Hear what I'm saying? Like God's withholding his blessing in the department of their lives that they've turned into idols. They're worshiping the God of weather. They're worshiping the God of rain. And God's like, I created weather. I literally watched it happen as I spoke it into being. I created rain. See, we can't be surprised when there's a correlating drought in our lives with the very thing that's competing for God's glory in ours. But what's surprising is that's the thing we cry out for the most. Kyle Eidelman, he, he said it this way, God will not bless his primary competition. He will not bless his primary competition in your life. And so while our career is out in front, and man, that's where everything is aligned in our life, 
But the guy who started after us and doesn't quite have as many accomplishments as we do, he gets it. And we're like, God, what happened, man? I prayed for it. I believed that it would, be, it would happen. And God's like, I will not bless my primary competition in your life. God, we, we, we like, can, can you continue to grow my 401k? We want to retire by the time I'm 26 and a half because I haven't quite gotten there yet. We're, I want to I retire by, by this thing. But God, why, why does our money seem to keep dwindling? God, we're just, we're just really tight right now. Can, can, you, can you please bless us? And God's like, dude, I know your money's tight. Will you use it to bless me? God will not bless his primary competition in your life. How about in, in your marriage? Like, we're asking God, God, there's almost nothing left. Where are you? Can you help us, like, renew something? And God's like, I'm the beginning of renewal. But I'm not going to bless my primary competition. And while that is on this one hand, the opposite is true on the other hand. I mean, when we put God in his rightful place, he wants to bless your life. He wants to help you. I don't know how many marriages I've seen turn around because they say we're going to put God at the center of it. Here's what doesn't make sense. God's financial plan. He says, man, I, I want you to sacrifice for the church. I want, all right, hold on. Sorry. That was, uh, I want you to sacrifice for the kingdom of God. And so I, what I didn't want you to hear was that I'm trying to get you to give money to to, to our church, if that's where God leads you, wants you to do that. But I think what God wants you to do is bless the kingdom of God with his finances. And so if he leads you somewhere else to give money, that's going to bless the kingdom. Um, that's awesome. But I, I think God's like, it, 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 here's what doesn't make sense. Like, God, I'm going to give you 10% of my income. I'm going to give you 15% of my income. I'm going to give you 20% of my income. And God's like, this is awesome. You can't outgive me. Watch this. When we put God at the seat of glory in our lives, it's amazing to watch what he can do. And we can't keep up. But God has to have the first chair. He can't have the second. He cannot drive from the back seat, unlike some of y'all. Ha ha, laugh, lighten up, let's go. All right, 1 Kings chapter 18. So here's, here's the battle, right? They already have this spiritual battle. God's like, Baal's a punk. He can't make it rain. But All right, Baal's a punk. And I created rain. And so Elijah's like, I'm going to set up the battle. Here comes the battle royale, WrestleMania 733, because that's probably which one's next. 1 Kings 18. Look, look, look what's happening. Verse 19 and 20. Now, summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. And bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people. Look at uh, verse 21. It's not up there, but just listen to verse 21. Elijah went before the people and he said, here, here's the match, right? Here's how long will you waver between two opinions, he says. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. 
If you're following along, along in your Bible, you'll see this next part. It says, but the people said nothing. Here's the premise. We're going to set up two sacrifices. You set up yours, do whatever you want. I'll set up mine, and I'll do whatever I want. And the God who consumes it in fire is God. And Elijah says, hey, you guys, uh, th this is the, the idea. You worship him if that's what you want. But if God is God, then you worship him. And then he, he set it up. And in verse 21, it says, but the people said nothing. It's so interesting that the Bible says it that way because there wasn't a question. He was saying this is the way it's going to be. But the people said nothing. Why did they say nothing? Because they wanted both. They want to worship Baal and God. And why not? So do we. We want it both ways too. I want to worship that other stuff. I want to worship you too, God. Like, it's not like we're just like, God, I'm going to push you off the back burner until Sunday. Maybe we do, but I'm not, I'm not trying to push you off. I, I like you. I even love you a little, but I also really love this too. And you can't have both. There, can only be, there can't be two number ones in your life. That's only 11. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 25 to 28, look. It says this, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, right, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them, and they prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. O Baal, answer us, they shouted, but there was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar that they'd made. And at noon, Elijah began to taunt him. My man, right, starts to talk trash. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and you have to wake him up. Verse 28. So they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Man, how barbaric. How like cruel. That they would stand around and, and their God's not answering, so they, they cut themselves and, until their blood flowed. It's crazy that they would bleed for their God. It's crazy that we would bleed for our gods. I don't know that we're that much different. Some of us have bled for the God of alcohol. And we've sacrificed and almost lost everything because of it. We bleed for our gods. Some of us have, have sacrificed intimacy and a future relationship for the God of pornography. We bleed for our gods. Some of us have sacrificed or some of us have, have bled out for the God of entertainment and the God of, of Facebook and the God of, of the PlayStation and Xbox and the God of Netflix. And we've sacrificed relationships with the people sitting in the same room with us and our, our young children. We bleed for our gods. 
And we're crazy to think that we don't. We're, we're not that much different than the people here. And what happens next is, is fascinating. Elijah taunts them. Nothing ever happens. Elijah has his... his um, uh, altar set up. He's got the bull around. There's a trench dug around, and he said, hey, watch this. True trash talker, Reggie Miller. He says, go get the water and bring it. I want you to douse it. Go get gallons of water. Pour it on the bull. I want you to douse it. Go get more water and more water and more water until it fills the trench around. Now, how much water do they have around? This is a limited resource, right? God said it's not going to rain. There's going to be no dew. And he's using water to douse this, this bull. Verse 36 37. Listen to this prayer. Elijah prays, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. It's not about Elijah. The story's not about anything else except God's glory, and it's reiterated here again. He says, do this, not for my safety, not so they'll stop persecuting me, not for anything else, God, except that they would know who you are and know that you are bringing their hearts back to you again. Verse 38 to 39. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up all the water in the trench. When all, uh, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And again, the story is about the glory of God. See, idolatry isn't just offensive to God. It's hurtful. A few days ago, uh, well, it's been a couple weeks, uh, I took Bone fishing out on the kayak, and he was pumped. And there's nothing special, more special than seeing your son excited about something you're excited about and excited about participating in something you're excited about. And, and I got to tell you, I, t I take that relationship a little bit more personal right, than some other ones. You know this because I talk about him like every three minutes. And... Um, we're setting up the boat, and it's hot. I don't know if you guys have been in North Carolina for the last 10 minutes, but it's hot. And uh, so we're putting up the, the kayak, and there's a lot of work involved when you're trying to take a kayak out on a, in a Honda Civic. And, um, and so I, we were amping it up on the way home. Hey, dude, we're going to go out on the kayak. Oh, yeah. You're going to help me get it set up. Yeah. And this is what we're going to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're going to hold the straps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm going to let you tighten them down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is what we're going to do. We get out of the kayak. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So we get home, and uh, I'm, I'm setting it up, and Bo's there helping me. He's holding one of the straps. And then his friends come around. And all of a sudden, all of the tension on the strap is gone. And I yank the strap, and y'all know how this works. I yank the strap, and the thing goes <laughs> flipping. <laughs> Where'd you go? Uh, and so it's hot. I'm tired. And now I'm just mad. And I'm like mad at a five-year-old kid. 
And, uh, and so I'm getting it up there, you know, it, it's all done. And then he, he comes by, he said, Dad, are you happy at me? No, not really. <laughs> Why not? I said, well, you didn't help me, dude. Well, I wanted to help you. I was like, I know, but you didn't. Yeah, I did. I held the strap. I was like, yeah, long enough for me to almost hit myself in the face with it. <laughs> He's like, yeah, but, but I held the strap. I said, here's what happened, Bowen. You told me you were going to help me, and that was special to me. But then when your friends came, you chose them over me, and that hurt my feelings. I know, immature, okay, whatever, you can call me whatever you want, but the image is there. God is not just offended by idolatry. He's hurt by it. And I think he looks into our lives and says, man, you told me, you chose me. I chose you. I gave my son to die for you. You said you chose me. I'm hurt by what you're doing. What in your life is, is competing for God's glory in your life? If you're reading in the story, at the end of this week's story, it, it told one of my favorite stories of any prophet. Um, and you can read it. Um, it's one of the minor prophets, so it's easy to read. But it's the story of Hosea. God comes to Hosea and he says, uh, Hosea, here's, here's what I want you to do. Hosea, like any other prophet, is like, all right, dog, I got you. What you want? He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down to that area of town. You know that area of town. And Hosea's like, oh, no. He said, I want you to go down, and I want you to find this prostitute, and I want you to marry her. Her name is Gomer. And Hosea is like, God, you, you meant the next, the next prophet. He's, he lives next door. <laughs> this isn't me. Like, I want you to go marry a prostitute. That's tough enough, but her name is Gomer? Come on, man. Anyway, sorry if your name's Gomer. I shouldn't have said that. <clears throat> Tell your parents I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, he, he comes to Hosea, and God says, Hosea, I want you to go down uh, to the red light district. I want you to find Hosea. I want you to pay for her, and I want you to marry her. That's a tough task, right? And God said, and Hosea says, all right, I'm going to do it. He goes down. He, he pays for Gomer. He brings her back to his home. Can you imagine the relationship struggles, the trust issues, the lack of communication, the lack of trust to begin with, the, the conversations they have, have to have right before they can do anything normal that married couples do? You know, like that's, I couldn't imagine. Can you imagine being Hosea and leaving for work? And then every day on your way home, just wondering, like, is she going to be there? Is there going to be somebody else there? So one day, Hosea's worst fear happens. He comes home, and, and Gomer's gone. There's this pit in his stomach. Where could she have gone? He plays it over in his head. You know how we do. We, we make the worst-case scenario. But this time for Hosea, the worst-case scenario is true. And he goes back down to the red light district to the same spot where he bought Gomer from, only to see her with the hand of another man leading her 
leading him into a house of prostitution. Hosea comes back to God, and he's like devastated. He's, he's hurt, and he said, man, hi. I, I don't know what to do. And God says to this prophet, Hosea, he says, go do it again. Go buy her again. Pay for her. Take her home, and you love her. No way. <laughs> Sorry. It's not happening. But Gomer does it. Or, I mean, Hosea does it. He goes and gets her, and he brings her home again. And there's this verse in Hosea chapter 3, verse 1, and this is what it says. And the Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she's loved by another man and is, a, and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves his, his, the Israelites. You see this? The Israelites are choosing other gods over God. And he says, I'm going to love you. And even though you're going to do this again, I'm going to love you. And I'm going to love you. And I'm going to love you. And I'm going to love you. He sends Hosea to go by Gomer again and again so that we could see the love that God has for us. And what a beautiful picture. You might be worshiping a God, little g. You might have these idols in your life, but God hasn't stopped loving you. As a matter of fact, he paid for you to come back over and over, and he's begging you to come back and stay. God, we don't know a love like that outside of your word. We don't know a love like that outside of the love you've created. God, the Bible says that we love because you first loved us, and even our ability to love is not like that. So God, we sit here and are overwhelmed by your grace and your mercy and your compassion and your invitation back. God, help us. God, there are idols in our lives. Pride and fleshly desires, outlets and relaxation. God, whatever it is, we've, we've got idols in our lives. We know they can't compare with you. God, give us the real thing. We, we desire it. We want it. We pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.